Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. <clears throat> I'm one of your co-hosts here, and we have a panel, our panel with us today. Many, most of them are here today. And just to save time, I just want to say once again, we're called Straight Talk Live because <clears throat> we are a gospel-centered uh, panel. And we believe that the only way we can be set free, be it racism or any kind of problems, is that the good news must be the central figure from which we speak. And that to be straight, we must hear what the Lord is saying and study what the Lord has inspired in his word for us and then speak out of a heart of truth and love. And so today I'm really excited because we have with us a communications expert and, uh, and a Holy Ghost filled. <laughs> and uh, we're just so excited for Dr. Alicia LaFaver. She's going to be, I'll introduce her in a moment. But um, so if you have your pen and pencil, you might need it handy because I'm sure she's going to give us some tidbits on how to be better communicators for the glory of God. So I'm going to turn it now over to Dennis and uh, then I'll come back and uh, introduce the doctor. Thank you, Van. Uh, welcome to our show today, and we welcome all of our viewers on uh, Facebook and on YouTube, and we'll be looking at this later. And I want to remind you about our podcast on anchor.fm, uh, talk straight, forward slash talk straight. So uh, our podcast is on there, and every week we're on with our regular panel and special guests every week. So we're glad to have our guests with us now. And we're looking forward to the show for the day. I'm going to turn it back in the hands of Van so he can introduce our, our guests and then we'll dialogue with him. Thank you, Dennis. And uh, I'm like I said, I'm just so excited, but I'm so excited for our panel as well. And I think that I hope what our audience gleans from our panel is that you will recognize from week to week, we have great diversity. We're just trying to be like God, distinct, but inseparable, distinct, but inseparable. And uh, recognizing as the body of Christ, there's one, the one new man that the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. And so we are trying to have real dialogue, honest dialogue, and yet speaking the truth in love to each other. So since we're trying to speak the truth to each other, that brings us to a Dr. Alicia Lefebvre. And I'm going to read her uh, just a, a snippet of her bio and then uh, let her, turn her loose from there. But <clears throat> Dr. LeFevre is a prolific speaker, professor, and Christian leader. She's originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's where I'm from, Jacksonville, Florida, down here. And she has been equipped with experiences in ministry and education. She holds a bachelor's degree in mass media communication studies and a master's degree in integrated marketing communications from Florida State University. In 2017, she earned a PhD in communication from Regent University. In 2006, she received the Jerome Edmund Gray Achievers Award from Jim Moran Foundation. In 2013, Dr. Lefebvre was awarded a doctoral fellowship uh, from Regent University. In 2020, she received the 20 and under 40 Kojic Achievers Award. Her professional experiences include marketing, broadcasting, higher education. She is currently a communications professor at Valencia College, and that's right here in Florida as well. Dr. Lefebvre is also a director of the School of Licensing and Credentialing for the Western Florida Jurisdiction Department of Women, and the president of the Women's Ministry It is a ministry designed to spiritually build, strengthen, and empower women ages 18 to 52, for leadership in the Church of God in Christ, the kingdom of God at large. In addition, Dr. Lefebvre has shared the gospel around the world, including parts of Europe and Africa. It is Dr. Lefebvre's desire to motivate, inspire, and enrich others through the word of God. She believes wholeheartedly in Matthew 19, verse 26, which states, but with God, all things are possible. If you have faith to believe it, God has the power to do it. So welcome, Dr. Lefebvre. And uh, uh, I'm going to, there may be some other things you want us to know uh, uh, about you, 
And uh, I've got some questions, uh, random questions, because, uh, you know, my wife will tell you, Dr. LeFevre, that I'm one that needs a lot of instructions in communications. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, since uh, she gave, the Lord gave her to me as a help me, uh, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to listen. And so uh, welcome. And uh, uh, so as you're the director of communications, help us, my dear sister, help us. <laughs> Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, there is so much to that I can talk about as it relates wow. to communications and and so many different angles that you can we we could we could speak from uh, in terms of how do we communicate better in the cultural climate of our time with so many different things that are happening. Um, the discussion of, of racism and, and inequality and um, so many other pressing issues that are affecting so many of us. Um, and I think as you, you touched on it, uh, Dr. Gayton, the importance of, of listening and a majority of, of everyone on average, people think they're a great listener. You know, if you ask a person, hey, do you, do you listen well? Yeah, of course, a absolutely. You know, but if you ask them, what is, what is your process of listening when you're engaging in a conversation or a dialogue, what is it that you're doing? What, 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 what is happening? You know, what, what tools or strategies do you use in a conversation? And in many cases, people really don't have them because they think that listening is something that happens automatic and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Hearing happens automatically, but listening does not. And it takes a focus, it takes attention to really listen. And listening is actually a process, right? It's the process of hearing a message receiving that message, interpreting that message, and then responding. Uh, Judy uh, Brownwell has a, a theory called the, the process, the six steps of, of listening. And it's called the Hurrier model, H-U-R-I-E-R, -E okay, the Hurrier model. And in that model, she says that we should go through six steps of listening. The first is hearing, which happens automatic. Right. Um, if I start knocking on this table, you automatically hear that. Right. It doesn't take much effort for that. You, you hear that. That happens automatically. Then she says the second step is understanding, understanding the message. And then R, remembering. I, interpreting. E, evaluating. And then I'm sorry, five, evaluating. And then six is responding. So when we think in the terms and in, in context of a conversation, there sh we should go through five steps before we respond. Mm. But in many cases, we don't go through those steps because we listen. I, I believe it was Stephen, Stephen Cohen who said that um, we listen to reply and not to understand. And that's mm. the biggest problem with communication is that when we're engaging in dialogue, we're listening <clears throat> to re respond to that person and we're not listening to understand that person. Mm. And so as a result, that's where we have the breakdown of communication because in essence, we're listening to our own thoughts, right? We're listening to, just in the context of this conversation, some of you might be thinking about what question you wanna ask me, right? Yeah, or there I might do. be, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or there's a thought that comes to you and, and now you're thinking about that thought. Um, and then you have these elements of lag time between speaking and listening that we, you, you listen faster than, than the person is actually speaking. So you're probably, you, you might be ahead of me while I haven't even finished my sentence or finished my thought, right? But you're already, you're already ahead of me. So we have all of these factors that unfortunately become barriers to listening effectively. Um, and so it, it, it starts with understanding that one, listening is a process and it's not something that just happens automatically, is there are steps that we must walk through in order to really begin to understand each other. Mm. And when you talk about how do we have conversation in, in our society, we seem to be so divided in terms of, because I disagree with you, I can't dialogue with you or I can't have mm. a conversation with you. But that that that's how we, that's how we grow as individuals. That's, that's how we learn. That's, that's one aspect of, of learning how to love someone by listening to them, right? Mm. When you think in terms of uh, Gary Chapman, the five love languages mm -hmm. that he talks about how 
you should love a person based on how they receive love, based on their love language, not based on how you choose to love them, right? Um, your love language might be words of affirmation. Uh, mine might be quality time. Um, but because you are so used to giving people words of affirmation, you, you settle into that and you often use that as a, as a focal point for how you choose to love someone, but that may not be how that person desires to be loved or how they even view love. And so when we begin to see um, perspectives from other, from another person, we begin to step into their shoes and exhibit, which we'll talk about probably a little bit later, empathy right? That's how we begin to have these engaging conversations and we can begin to see the world from another person's point of view, even if I don't understand it, e even if I've never been there before. But the, the fact that I'm, I'm willing to, to say something as simple as, Dr. Gayton, can you help me to understand your, your, your perception? Help me to understand your experience. Help me to, to see what you're seeing because I haven't been there. You know, I have not experienced that. I, I don't know what that means, but I would like for you to help me to begin to understand that. And then that's how, you know, I believe that we will be, uh, begin to engage in, in healthy dialogue. Mm. Very good. And uh, Dr. LeFevre, <clears throat> is not the, is this idea of what is called the plausibility structure, which is this idea. And sometimes I find, and, and I'm sure you found it, that just like when we do our thesis or our dissertation, you have to put your, at the beginning of the paper, you got to put your operational definitions. And so sometimes when we're conversing with each other, our operational definitions are not the same for the same term. And uh, that's where the Socratic moment comes in, where we ask people, are you saying, is this mean what you're saying and et cetera. So we need to ask more questions before we come retort with a definitive answer. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. Right. And so when you think if, if I'm really listening in a conversation, that would mean that I would be asking more questions than making statements. Mm. Right? Because responding um, is, is the last part of, of, of the process of listening. Right. It's, it's, it's understanding, it's interpreting, it's evaluating, it's remembering. And if I'm listening, really listening in a conversation. I'm asking probably more questions than I'm making statements because I'm trying to understand that person, right? I'm not trying to reply just yet, right? But if I'm trying to get an understanding, that would mean that I would be asking more questions than okay. making statements. Well, Dr. LaFaver, we also have Dr. Buchanan with us today and she always has to leave early because she has a child that's gotta to go to school. So we always allow her to jump in early on the conversation because you'll see her disappear in a few moments. But uh, both of you have uh, got your PhDs from the same place, university. So uh, Dr. LaFaber, Dr. Buchanan. Hey, Dr. LaFaber, thank you so much for being with us today. And so my context is um, a little bit different. Um, we're an active duty army family and my husband is a chaplain and so we do a lot of strong bonds events and i am listening to you and it is reminding me so much of the speaker listener technique um, that we use but you are bringing so much clarity um, to this so i want to say thank you for that and then also as a mom uh, of a nine-year-old and also as a professor of people who are the same ages that you focus on, the 18 to 52, you know, 60s, 70s, all of that. Um, what are some of the best ways that as a professor and as a mom, I can engage more readily with empathy? Mm, great question. So let's, um, I, I wanna define empathy as well. Um, and so when you think in terms of empathy, right? The ability to understand and to share um, the feelings of another, mm -hmm. of, of another person. And so when I, when, when I talk about empathy, it's, it's not always, again, this process of we're just in dialogue and we're talking. Because I think sometimes what happens is, we're talking a lot, 
but are we listening, mm -hmm. right? Because if we're, I, I would make this argument and, and I certainly don't have the research to support it, but this is just Alicia here, that if we're truly listening, it should bring us to a process of transformation, right? That something should happen with that information that either changes us or it changes the listener. And if transformation is not occurring, then we're just kind of talking, but we're not really listening to each mm -hmm. other. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get specifically to your question, but this just reminded me. I read a book during my doctoral studies by Fred Craddock um, called Overhearing the Gospel, and he quotes Kierkegaard uh, a lot in the book. But he says that we have so much information um, that it's almost information overload, right? Um, we have information at the click of a button. We can we can Google it. We can Facebook it. We can TikTok it, we can Instagram it, we can Snapchat it, we can do all of these things to get information. But the information is not, it's not changing us in any ways. It's not changing the speaker, it's not changing the listener. And so what are we doing with this information? We're, we're these intellectual, knowledgeable people who know how to communicate, but that information never changes us. And so when I sit down or when I'm talking to my students, um, how do I exhibit empathy? It goes back again to asking those questions, um, trying to see the world from their perspective, allowing them, uh, this is this transactional communication, which is where we shift from speaker to receiver. There are times when I'm speaking and I'm the authoritative figure, if you will, but then my students then also become the speaker and then I become the listener. And I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm receiving what they're, I'm interpreting. I'm trying to understand from their, their perspective. So in essence, we're having this, this transaction, this, this exchange of, of, of communication and dialogue where I'm not just the authoritative figure that can just give you information and you just receive, 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 but to give them that opportunity then to also speak to me. And, and I'm able to then learn from them as well. So it, it gives them a stake in the conversation, right? It gives them responsibility. Um, and then we're able to, to learn and, and to grow from one another and identify ways that I can be a better professor, they can be a better student. Mm. I don't have any children, but I can imagine that that is, you know, some things that will happen, happen as well. And, you know, I grew up in, of course, a, an African-American family. And there were many times when my mother said something and, and that was just it. You know, there, there was no conversation. There, there was no dialogue <laughs> at right. all. Um, but, and, and, in, and in some cases, I do understand that. You know, I was very young and experienced. I didn't have all the knowledge that she does. But you start to see how your relationship changes and transforms. And now when I talk to my mother, we're in dialogue. You know, it's not, this is what I say, this is what goes. It's Alicia, what do you think about it? You know, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, so hopefully that answered your, your question. Mm -hmm. It did, thank you so much. Anybody else wanna jump in there? I don't wanna cut anybody off this today. I was just thinking when mama, when mama talks, you jump from the H in hurrier to the R, you know, you hear and you respond. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, and you better hurry. <laughs> Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? <laughs> yeah. You don't have time for remembering, interpreting or evaluating. You just better respond. That's right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you don't ask how she defines the terms and, uh, all you don't ask mama that you don't you so doctor afraid. so so doctor what do we do with all because i heard what you just said what do we do with all this information then how do we filter and uh not only just become hearers but with all this collection of information like on the internet googling everybody's googling all the time how do we turn that into reasonable and uh effective dialogue that we could use mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, you know, it goes back to uh, the point I was making about allowing that information to, uh, to transform you and, and the truthful information, not, not just any information. We talk about finding information on the internet. There's a lot of false information um, that's out there. Um, but it, it comes down to how do you, uh, wh what do you do with the information that you receive? 
Right. One of the uh, courses that I'm, I'm taking now uh, for our faculty development is on this idea of implicit bias and microaggressions. And we're talking about how um, implicit bias is often reflected in microaggressions uh, and microaggressions being the subtle verbal and nonverbal kind of sites or insights um, or, or messages toward an, an individual group just because of, of the group that they identify with. And sometimes it's the implicit bias and the microaggressions that can cause this serious breakdown uh, in communication and, and barriers to kind of helping us overcome racism. So when we talk about communicating in today's culture and, and what, what do we do with that and how do we engage in healthy dialogue, it's this willingness to listen, but to also listen non-defensively and to try to understand the perspectives of people who are not in uh, the same groups that, that, that we're in. Uh, and that means focusing on, on, on those per, uh, perceptions, listening uh, attentively to those perceptions, and then sharing that information with others as well, right? Allowing that information to transform you and then sharing that information with other people also. And I think sometimes we just stop at, at the receiving of information. And Kierkegaard, he, he says that the lowest form uh, of communication is just the exchange of information. That is the absolute lowest form of communication. The highest form of communication is when you can in, incite change, unrest in, in the listener that at long after you've stopped speaking, your words are still reverberating in, in their mind, right? Which is the power of communication, right? Over 50 years ago, uh, Martin Luther King gave the speech, I have a dream, but those words are still reverberating in our mind. We're still uh, reading or, and, and listening to that speech because of the power of communication. Uh, and one of the kind of myths that I try to, to de debunk in, in my classroom is this phrase that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? And I understand why we teach children that, you know, um, to deal with bullies and, and all these other things that happen. But words are so powerful. They literally have the ability that words can destroy you. You know, there were, I remember in, in high school, there was a nickname that some of my friends, I wouldn't call them friends now, but uh, some of my friends called me and I can still hear it. I can still hear it. And I'm well into my thirties, but I can, I can still hear it. And so the power of, of, of communication and the power of words is that it, it has a very lasting effect. It has a creative power. You know, we think of, you go to the inception of the world, Genesis one and one. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And he said, let there be, and there was, that our communication has creative power. And it not only affects us, but it affects others as well, right? Mm -hmm. The words that we say are not just powerful for our, our, our own selves, but it's, it's powerful to those who are affected around us or who are around us, those who we have this interdependent relationship with. So much so that Psalm says that death and life is in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So what we say has this creative, effective pow power that not only affects us, but it affects those that are, that are around us as well. When you talk about <clears throat> empathy, you used the phrase earlier, exhibit empathy. And I, I guess as, I, as I'm thinking about that, realizing that, that when I'm in a conversation with someone, I can empathize, I can feel along with them, but not necessarily show it. Mm -hmm. And so it's good that I can feel along with them, but I need to let them understand that I'm feeling along with them. And would you say that, um, some techniques to both hear people better and also exhibit, let them know that I'm feeling along with you would be phrases like, so I hear you saying that. This is what I hear you. Can you, can you tell me just a little more? Can you help me understand? Because I don't under, and also in, in, in my attempts at communication, I understand that if I can let the other person know that I at least have a foothold into 
into understanding them, it helps gain the trust that that person can then express more to me. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, when you, in terms of showing empathy and that you're listening empathetically, it, it's, it's this relational listening, right? And, and kind of want to, don't want to get too much into differences in how men and women think, right? Okay. That plays a role as well. Go ahead, sister, go um, ahead. Amen. <laughs> um, women tend to pay more attention. They, they interpret a little bit more in conversations, not just listening to what is said, but also listening to what isn't said. Mm. Not just looking at or listening to what's coming out of the mouth, but also looking at nonverbal behaviors, listening to tone and then context around that. Right. And sometimes men just tend to take it for face value. That's what you said. That's what is. Let's move on. Okay. So you're saying that women are smarter than men. That's what you're. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're saying that women are just smarter than men. <laughs> and say that. I didn't. I didn't. Say that. Yeah, yeah. But if that's what you're interpreting, you are right. You are right. <laughs> so you no. went from you went from hearing to understanding to remembering to interpreting right there. Uh, Tom. <laughs> Dr. Lefebvre, I have I have a question. <laughs> You said a little while back about um, listening uh, without being defensive. And I'm thinking about, I think, you know, we're all in the, I don't even know how to refer to it, but just the cloud of this week with, between the, the, the Chauvin trial and now, you know, Dante Wright and, uh, you know, the, the, the shooting of the young man in that took place in, in March in Chicago. And um, when you have these life and death situations um, and, and you know, maybe you've seen uh, Emmanuel Ajo's um, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Have you say, seen any of those episodes uh, that he's been having? I think mostly in the last year, they're really good. And in one of his episodes, he has a group of, of uh, folks from a black community talking with a group of police officers. And that's talk about an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and the way that they interact is, is really very profound. But those are life and death situations. And, and how, how can you have, I, I'm swirling around my question here, but um, I guess, you know, this week as I'm looking at, at the situation with Dante, right? You know, here, here's this young man, and he's just he's just driving along, and he's you know got an air freshener in the back of his car, and he's got this new car, and he's going to go get it washed or whatever, and and then here's this officer with a 26 year history who in this this moment you know it doesn't matter those 26 years of, of excellent service are are gone, and in that moment, her life and the life of her children and her family and this young man's life, you know, everybody's life changes in an instant. And, and so when you get people together to talk about that and it's so, how can you not be defensive <laughs> one way or another um, when, when these issues are so difficult? I mean, I agree with you that we have to somehow be able to put, to, communicate in a way that isn't, uh, that doesn't, you know, jump to these conclusions or, or jump in or just want to smack somebody, you know, but how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those kinds of, of, of situations are highly emotive in terms of it brings so many emotions, uh, experiences to the conversation that sometimes it's really, <clears throat> the words that we use. Um, so when you say communicating non-defensively, non um, there's a strategy that I teach my students and it's leading with I language as opposed to you language. You didn't say that, or you said in class, right? as opposed to leading because that automatically puts the person on defense, right? Mm -hmm. When I say you. 
I heard you say in class, right, X, Y, Z, right? Leading with how you felt. I felt X, Y, Z when you did X, Y, Z. So as opposed to coming out of the gate with this you language, I'm leading with, with my feelings and mm. how I felt and my experience. That's I'm good. not trying to attack you, right? And conversations about racism and what's happening in our society, I think sometimes people feel that they are being attacked. That if, I, if we're talking about the difference between black and white and what's happening in, in racial inequality, that people automatically go to, you're calling me a racist. Right, they, uh, they automatic, sometimes they automatically go there. And when communicating, it's important not to attack the person, but we're talking about the racist behavior or the language, not the person. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, due to those micro, uh, microaggressions and the implicit bias, and sometimes it's unconscious. And, and, and there are things that people are not even aware that they're doing. They're not aware that their words are offensive. They're not aware that if you tell a, a, a black woman or a black man that you sound white or you speak correct English, that that can be insulting, that that can be offensive. And so uh, there's this difference between intent and impact, right? That it's, it's, it is the, the racism that is um, well-intended, right? And I'm not racism that well-intended, but well-intended actions that can sometimes have unintentional, negative, hurtful impact, right? It's easy to recognize overt racism, but it's even harder to recognize and even therefore challenge covert racism or racism when it comes with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things that uh, an individual is unaware of that they're doing, right? When, they, when, when they're speaking to someone of a different race or a different culture that brings it to their attention, they become defensive because they feel uh, or could feel that you're calling them a racist when, when that is not at all what's happening. It is let's talk about the language and the behavior that is being exhibited that is causing me to feel a certain way. Mm. And so while the intent might be good, the impact may not always be the same. Mm. Mm. That's good. Thank you. I think I, I would, in, in that kind of situation that you described, Lois, I think just my, my initial thought was I, I would lead with a few layers of expressions of empathy. I understand your hearts are broken. I understand that your lives will never be the same. I understand, but here's what I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, an, another point uh, to, that, to that, Dr. Tom, is, is also, I think oftentimes we, we, we place the responsibility on, on, you know, black and brown individuals to, to talk about racism and, uh, <laughs> Sadly, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and it's important to know that, you know, when we see racism uh, rearing its head, whether it's covertly or overtly, that uh, we have to say something, right? Um, and so sometimes black and brown people are often left holding that responsibility of educating people and talking about racism, but racism is, is everyone's issue. And, and at, at the same time, uh, we also want to avoid uh, which you brought up a great point, uh, speaking from or speaking for other groups of people, which sometimes can be inaccurate while well-intended, right? While well-intended could sometimes be inaccurate, but stick to sharing your own opinions and viewpoints, leading with empathy, right? But sharing things from your perspective and from your understanding. Uh, and I think that's how uh, we can begin to overcome some of these communication barriers and really have some um, very honest conversation about issues such as such as racism that's happening in society. And what I'm learning, you know, in the classroom with my my students, <clears throat> they'll talk about it. They're, they're, they're not afraid to talk about it. They're not afraid to uh, share their very raw emotions. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, we've had some very heated conversations in the classroom. And I have to bring them back to the importance of everyone's voice has value 
in the classroom um, and, and that we can still respect one another even though we may not understand or even though we see the world differently. But I think the key here is, is that dialogue can be uncomfortable. It, 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 can, be, uh, a, it can be offensive. It, 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 there, there are so many different emotions that happen when we're talking about things such as racism, but allow yourself to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and allow yourself to feel what you feel and then take those moments to, to pause um, before you respond, right? Take, 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 take that moment or a minute or two that you need to step back before you, before you respond to something, especially when you know that you know, there, there's a lot of emotion or passion in, in, in what's being said. 13 months ago, I began intentionally reaching out to black churches and black leaders. And my, my agenda was to listen. My agenda was to hear um, things that I didn't understand all of my life mm -hmm. about racism. One of the dynamics that I, well, I've had some incredible experiences and, and to be able, once a, a, a black church, a black leader, a black family, a black person understands that I'm not there to tell you something, I'm not here to instruct you, I'm not here to issue some kind of flimsy apology, I'm, I'm not here to, I, I'm here to, to genuinely listen then, then there's been amazing responses and amazing things shared. But one of the roadblocks for me has been for a, a black individual to share their, re, the way they have received racism the way they have received acts of racist acts in their lives that have been physically damaging, emotionally devastating, financially hurtful, etc. In other words, to, to hear the price of racism in the black community and among black individuals, for those people to share those things it's, these are deeply personal. These are still hurt. These are obviously still hurtful. These are, maybe it can sound like, I, I just don't want to expose that part of myself to you. And, and I understand that, I get it. I mean, I don't get it, but I think I get it. I get part of it. <laughs> and and, and I, I, but I think it's something the rest of America needs desperately to hear. I don't know how to make that happen. I know that I've shared this before on this program that in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing, um, I think it was a CNN journalist poked his microphone in the face of an unnamed black woman. And without any other words, she just said, if you're white and you don't have a black friend, make one. Mm -hmm. If you're black and you've never had a white friend, please make one. And, and I understand the power of that. In some ways, I think it's the most profound thing I heard in all of those discussions. But, but it's not just to have a person you go drink coffee with. That relationship has to come to the point where each person shares what's really in their hearts and what they've really experienced in life. I'm working at it. I feel like I've gained a few skills along the way in, in moving that direction, helping other people move that direction, but I sure need to be taught a lot more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest? Well, you're taking the, you're making the right steps in, mm -hmm. in terms of, of having that conversation um, and I want to go back to um, what I said earlier about now allowing what you're learning and what you're hearing and what you're listening to, to then change um, the situations that you might be in, um, to change others that might be around you. Um, and, and 
one conversation leads to another, and that's great that you're having them, but how do you bring other people that you might know or other people that need to hear those conversations? How do you bring them then into those kinds of, that, that, the, the, the room? So they can then hear that same information and then allow that information to change in some way, whether it's, whether it's the, the receiver or the speaker. Um, but you have to bring others with you along this journey. I think specifically, I'm, I'm asking, how do we move the relationships and the communication to where there is, there are those times of deeper sharing? What, what are your suggestions? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, one, it comes down to just to trust, right? I think you, you, you touched on that. Do I trust you with this information? There's also this idea of self-disclosure um, that when we're engaging in, in dialogue and conversation, the idea is that self-disclosure will be reciprocated. That as I self-disclose to you, as I share some of my experiences with you, that you will then in turn share them with me that has to be developed and it's not something that you can just jump right into. Uh, and I'm just gonna use this as an example. You know, if you meet someone for the first time or many of you are married, you go on a first date, you're not telling them your entire life, you know, your yeah. deepest and darkest secrets and, 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 and what, you, what, what you've done. And, but that grows over time and, and you start to develop trust and you start to trust that person with information that you would not have trusted them with when you initially first met them. So it's a process that, that you go through when you develop that relationship and not necessarily expecting that if I sit down with you one time that I'm gonna sure. learn everything that I need to learn because that may not happen, but I'm willing to invest in this relationship, right? As you said, it's not just sitting down and having coffee, but hey, let's talk maybe once a month. Let's meet on Zoom and, 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 and discuss what's happening uh, on the news and, and, and what's going on in the world and, and how uh, and what you think about it. And then that's how you develop those relationships. And slowly you start to unpeel the, these layers of yourself and the other person, and they become more willing to share more information. As you self-disclose, the other will self-disclose as well, if it's reciprocated. And ideally that, that is what should happen uh, in, in developing relationships with others. Uh, Alicia, um... You know, before, uh, years ago, before I retired, I was also a high school principal for a college preparatory high school, private school here in Jacksonville, Florida. And one of the courses that I taught the seniors and found out because I took a course up at uh, Indiana Wesleyan University um, is this theme of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what I find that in America in particular, we get emotionally charged situations uh, with people who don't have a clue about emotional intelligence in the first place, and it becomes very, very explosive. So that's one of the things that I think affects our whole communication is um, this emotional intelligence factor in all of us, you know, instead of just saying, well, I dislike that phrase or coming out and saying, well, I just hate that phrase. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. well, there's a difference between dislike and hate, you know, but that monitoring our own emotional intent, uh, you know, intelligence. How do, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and, you know, emotional intellig intelligence, it, a part of that is self-awareness and being aware of your own emotions and not always acting out the emotion, but expressing the emotion and why you feel a certain way. Um, I, I can't, it's not, I can't remember exactly um, the name of, of the scholar, but there's this uh, will of emotion. And he talks about how one emotion is oftentimes an amalgamation of two. That when one is angry, it uh, might be a, an, an amalgamation of disappointment and sadness that leads you to feel angry. And so as opposed to just punching a wall because you're angry, let's deal with why are you feeling that way? One, you're disappointed in, in someone because they've done something that you thought they would not do. 
And now you're feeling this sense of sadness and you don't know how to deal with being sad. And, and now you're just, you're just angry and you're angry at everyone, but you haven't really dealt with, with the other emotions that's causing the anger. And as you become more aware of yourself, more aware of things that, that, you, that you don't like, as you, as you mentioned, and things that you absolutely hate, <laughs> Right, you're able to kind of compartmentalize those emotions and, and those feelings. And so that's one part of emotional intelligence, self-awareness. The second part is empathy, right? Um, as I mentioned, being able to put yourself in someone else's perspective. That when I'm listening to a conversation, I'm not listening to my thoughts, I'm not listening to respond. I'm listening to the speaker's experience I'm understanding their experience. I'm asking questions about their experience. And then I'm responding in a way, and I think the, the latter part of that part of listening is that what then do you do with that information? What do you do with it, right? How do you allow that to change you and, and, and to transform you? What happens after that process of listening? And so uh, to, hopefully that answers your, your question in terms of emotional intelligence. So there are really two parts to that, the self-awareness um, and uh, expressing the emotion, talking about the emotion, uh, mm. and then an element of, of empathy as well. Geraldine, mm. mm. I know you want to jump in there, so <laughs> I want to get you in there too. I see your look. <laughs> I, I think that um, I, I'm reminded of, of years that have passed um, I, I used to uh, be the director of engineering for a Fortune 500 company. And, uh, but before that, of course, I was a manager and um, started off as a, as a um, project engineer and moved to the supervisory role and then as a manager of, of engineering. And then finally, um, the director of, um, of process control uh, engineering for this company and I learned um, some of it uh, by my own study and some of it just by uh, just the hard way of dealing with people because you had all types of individuals that you're involved with from all parts of the country uh, and the world. Um, at that one time, I think maybe I had maybe uh, 15 or 20 managers reporting to me who all had about 10 to 15 supervisors, which then had about I don't know, 80 to 90 people out in the field. Here's what I, I found out. One is that, um, that there's a type of listening that where you're just trying to get information. You know, you, you're trying to listen to learn. And, and I, I don't know if these are, are, are scientifically accurate or not, but I categorize that as informational listening. I just wanna learn something from you. And I, I'm not even interested in engaging, actually. All I want to do is listen. I want to learn. I'm going to take me some notes. Uh, if I have a question, I'm going to ask the question. But, but uh, you're presenting it to me. Is you, you're not uh, dependent upon my feedback for you to be successful in giving me the information. Nor am I uh, codependent uh, as it relates to having to let you know that I have the information. Because once we're done, we're going in different directions. And the second thing I learned was that, um, and this was perhaps one of the more critical ones, is that you have to listen uh, to, to evaluate, to, to analyze. Uh, I was once training uh, uh, to become a managerial anal analytics um, uh, specialist. And uh, after completing the training, it put my mind in a whole different set of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of directions and, and thoughts. And that if you don't evaluate information, particularly if it's technical, somebody could lose their life. So you didn't have time to go with all of the frills and the leaves on the trees. You had to go directly to the root. You gotta ask the right question and asking the right question became the, the, the bottom line. If you couldn't ask the right question, you were never going to get the real right answer. And if you didn't get the right answer, you couldn't make the right decision. If you didn't make the right decision, someone could die. So, so that became very critical in what we did. But, but the last one was, uh, was a little bit more 
uh, in line with where we are today. And that was where we were listening uh, to understand feelings and, and emotions. And I really flunk out in that area. I don't do well in, in that area. I get a, a failing grade there because oftentimes I really don't care about <laughs> I know I know how this sounds. <laughs> I, I don't really care about, about the crocodile teals. You know, I, I've had guys, and I just left the meeting this morning uh, where they had a, a bunch of white folks in there, and they were trying to uh, talk about um, how they felt about the different uh, uh, killings recently and, and how this lieutenant was, was treated. And I listened to them as long as I could. And many of them were, and they were very sincere people. But, but my, my position was, is that, you know, look, y'all been doing this for over 600 years. Don't give me this BS as if all of a sudden, this is the first time you've done it. Your grandpa probably did this and your daddy probably did and your mama probably did it. And so that by that time I'm, I'm playing the dozens. And so I, I decided I better get out of there while I could without a rope around my neck. So, so I don't do well in that, in that area, which then uh, uh, brings me to the barriers. You know, you, you can have barriers of judgment where you're judging the speaker, or judging the topic. Well, that's exactly what I was doing, but I, I forced it. So they know I, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe those tears. They don't mean anything to me. Crying has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Or you can be listening uh, sometimes and you're just getting ready to speak or think. Now that part I've mastered pretty good. I don't do that. But then there's another one that just breaks breaks me up when I see other people into it, and that is when they're daydreaming or they're distracted by stuff, you know, and then or when they bring stuff into the conversation, um, and then finally, and I I shut up. Uh, thank you for listening and, and indulging me. Uh, the, the the one that I guess <laughs> gets me the most is when is when uh, somebody is speaking and then you're trying to connect to what the other person is saying by making it about you. And that's why uh, I, I really resonated with your, with your I statements as opposed to you statements, because that's one of the only ways of pulling yourself out of that hole or not taking offense to what someone else is saying. So those are things that I learned over the last, um, I don't know, 40 years or so. Um, I left the corporate world uh, in, in the 90s. So um, it's been a minute but I remember those issues. So I, I thank you for your input. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Lands, we have a, a term for those individuals who make the conversation about them. They're conversational narcissists. Yes, conversation, yes. Thank you for saying it. I, thought, I, I was sure you were gonna laugh me out of the room if I said that, but <laughs> absolutely right. They're narcissistic jerks. Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> so tell us how you really feel there. <laughs> well, now communications has never been one of my problems. I mean, I can tell you how I feel. Yeah. I don't necessarily always listen to what you're saying, but I'm always. <laughs> yeah. And Alicia, he's got plenty of guns at his house. That's mm -hmm. I, I've been there. I've been there. Yes. He got plenty of guns. <laughs> yes, I love the hunt. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, so we got about six ministers, so Alicia. And uh, uh, first of all, just thank you, thank you, thank you for guiding us in this conversation because it's well needed. I mean, your expertise in, is something that is needed in this nation. I mean, you should be speaking at all these gathering of corporate leaders, of churches, and helping us all with a sense of how do we become better communicators because that's the bottom line, Alicia is that if we have this ministry of reconciliation, which is a mandate from heaven, then we've got to do our best at communicating in a way that is reconciling us or bring us all into harmony. We should be anointed for that. And so it, it's, uh, it's academics, but it's also anointing at the same time. And then developing that skill, just like in hermeneutics, is the mm -hmm. art and the science, the art and the science. We've got to go both ways. So I think that uh, God has raised you up to be one of those to help us uh, because, you know, we can feel the Holy Ghost passing over our parasympathetic nerve, but uh, <laughs> we don't know how to talk straight. <laughs> so yeah. in closing, in closing with a Hammond B3 playing in the background, <laughs> uh, I know you got to close, but go ahead and close. 
You know, I'm Kojic. We have three or four closings, but I am just going to make one. That's all right with me. Look, look, look. One thing I can tell you since I played in a band that, that did a lot of coaching work is that almost everything in the closing is going to be in, in a minor seven. So, <laughs> I knew you picked that up. I knew you picked that up. Tom, we can speak to that. <laughs> we can speak to that, Tom. Yeah, you know about I that. get you. I'm with you. <laughs> you all are pushing me. You're pushing me. <laughs> you know, but I, I will say this in, in the closing. I know that a lot of these strategies are, are not easy. And it's easy to say that you should do this and you should do that. But sometimes when you're in the conversation and in the moment, all of those tools go out the window, right? It, it, it happens with, with me as well. And so sometimes it's not that you don't know how to do it. Um, is putting it into practice and intentionally doing it. Just like how we do with the presence of the Lord, right? You have to intentionally invoke his presence. And, and that means minimizing distractions, intentionally worshiping God and inviting him into the place. So it, it is intentional action that has to take place. It does not happen automatically. It is work that we have to put in. We have to practice being better communicators. We have to practice pausing before we respond, we don't always have to respond so quickly. We don't always have to talk so much. <laughs> that does not have to happen in order for communication to be effective. And the word tells us, and I always go back to this, Lord, let my words be seasoned with grace. And yeah. anytime I engage in a conversation, a heated conversation, or if I'm dealing with conflict, Lord, word my mouth. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. God, search my heart and my mind even now. Lord, and make me receptive to, to what is said. And then I pray for the other person because mm -hmm. they may not, you know, they may not be going through the same process that I'm going through, right? I have all of these tools in my arsenal, but they very well may not. Mm -hmm. And then, and then inviting the Lord, the presence of the Lord into that conversation and allowing him to lead and to guide you, not ego, not, not experience and not even knowledge for that matter. Right. Not mm -hmm. not not even all of these tools that I've learned through going to school, but God, your will, your will be done. And here I am. Use me as a vessel uh, to bring change into society that I may use my words and the words that you have given me to incite change uh, and to be a change agent. Uh, and I often pray, Lord, anoint, anoint my voice. Right. Because the voice is so powerful, because our words are so powerful that that it death and life is literally in your tongue. I think sometimes we don't realize the power of that, that it is literally in your mouth, that you have creative power in your mouth, that you can literally change the atmosphere and the environment that you're in just because of the words that come out of your mouth. So Father, anoint my voice yes. that when I speak, that I say the right thing and what I say will shift and to change the atmosphere. Right. Yeah. Talk about well, when I walk into a room and when I sit down at a faculty meeting, I want the atmosphere to shift and to change, not because Alicia walked in, not because Dr. LeFevre walked in, but because the presence of the Lord walked in with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because the spirit of the Lord is leading and guiding me, right, yeah. uh, in, 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 in my environments. And so um, I pray that, you know, that I've said something that has been beneficial. Uh, to you and, and certainly look forward uh, to, to sharing with you again in the future. Yes, yes. It's been transformational. Mm -hmm. It's been <laughs> transformational. And I, maybe just one person in this panel wasn't transformed by what you said. <laughs> 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 and I'm not talking about, you know, Bishop, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we have learned something uh, from you so helpful. And like I said, it's, this, is, this is the time, Dennis would agree with me, in our nation that, like I said, we need to know these skills. But again, because we're ambassadors of the Lord, you know, we want to walk in and change the atmosphere, literally change the atmosphere. Uh, I was in bed last night. I was thinking about how in Isaiah, it's it, one of the things that the prophet said, he says that speaking of the Lord, he said that he, he may lay bare his old, holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and that all the ends of the earth would see the salvation of our God. Uh, 
Boy, I would just love that to be true every time I stepped into a room, you know. <laughs> now, most of the time it isn't, but I desire that. I yeah. desire, I yearn. Uh, uh, I'm pushing for that. I, I'm asking, I'm leaning into God. And he will help all of us to get to that place because it's necessary in this hour that it's just not a post-enlightenment kind of rationality that's going to transform America. It's yeah. going to be what happened in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> it's going to be what happened in Acts chapter 2. So, uh, Dennis, are we out of time? I can say yes. the closing lesson. Uh, well, you know, I want to say to Dr. LeFevre, you know, you're welcome to be back anytime you want to. <laughs> you know, we need help every time we open our mouth. Next week we would be good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say the, and I'm glad she only, she's right down the street from me, by the way, <laughs> Orlando. So I'm going to have her come up and have her speak mm -hmm. in my school and in the church up here as well, too. So I think they'll be greatly blessed. So I say to everyone, I pray that everybody has received something, that Dr. LeFevre has shared something with you, with all of us, that will help us to be better communicators for the glory of God. I mean, we are ambassadors. We're representing God. So God help us to live up to his great name. We're trying to make his name great in all the earth. And so I say to each one, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one and give you shalom in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Go with God. Amen. Amen. Alicia, just hold on one second, would you? Sure. We're off. Okay. Great.